Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and good evening, my fellow Liberty lovers, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from. Today is Tuesday, October 17th, 2023, and this is episode 14 of the Living with Freedom show. I'm Amber S. bringing you a vision of what living a life of freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in every aspect of life. This show is brought to you by the by Living with Freedom Ministries, an unincorporated private church industry, where I help people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose, specifically through the creation of their own private ministry. If you enjoy the Living with Freedom show or any of the Living with Freedom ministry activities, please consider a donation through PayPal using the ministries Living with Freedom at protonmail.com email. Because your support helps keep this ministry's mission alive. And without you guys, uh, we wouldn't be here. So thank you guys for your contributions and just believing in in what we're doing here with Living with Freedom Ministries. All right. This week, (laughs) I got to say, this week is jam-packed with a lot of stuff. Um. So we're going to very briefly cover a whole bunch of things. At least I feel like it's a whole bunch of things because this last week I got to go see one of my heroes. I I don't like to call people idols because I don't believe in idolatry, but I do believe in that it's okay to have heroes, mentors, people to look up to, people to learn from. So I'm excited to get into that a little bit later and share who I got to go see. Um, But for now, I want to start with the holiday of the day. So for anyone listeners who are new to the Living with Freedom show, every week I like to highlight a holiday of the day or um, like a this day in history kind of thing. Very often I like to keep it like more on on the deep, you know, meaningful concept last week which I need to get uploaded so I apologize we had some tech issues last week last week it was um, National Angel Food Cake Day and National Cake Decorating Day if I remember right so um, last week we had a little bit of fun I can't wait to share that episode with you guys so stay tuned we didn't miss last week I did do a recording it just had to be pre-recorded so anyways the holiday of today National Clean Your Virtual Desktop Day. Yes, it sounds silly. But do we actually schedule time to clear up our, you know, our physical desktop or our virtual desktop? Many people today are aware that physical clutter can have a very real and very negative effect on our mental and emotional health. What many don't consider is that virtual clutter can have the same effects. At a minimum, just like physical clutter, it can make us less effective and less efficient, 
due to the time and effort required to find what we're looking for. And that's not even talking about the distractions of finding things that we didn't intend to find, but we did, and now it's on our mind, right? (laughs) So this is something that I I love. I have a love-hate relationship with virtual decluttering. (laughs) Um, When I worked at the university as a student worker, I loved it. It was something that kept me busy and it was productive and helpful. I, I, I like to think that I'm pretty good at it, but I acknowledge that when it comes to my own stuff, especially having phones, having, you know, tablets or other devices and a laptop or desktop, <clears throat> consolidating, organizing content and information can be very overwhelming. And I am not um, immune to that challenge. <laughs> I will, I'll put it that way. Um, one of the things I learned, though, through my experiences doing a lot of virtual decluttering is the easiest way to start is to create folders to categorize. And yes, sometimes we start with folders with really, really good intentions and stuff still ends up just kind of cluttering our desktop. And that's usually a good signal that the organizational system that we were using wasn't quite right for our needs. And maybe it was and we're just, you know, need to quick save and, and move on to the next task. But then when you need to go back to find the file, it's MIA, right? It's missing. It's lost. Not that it's not there. It's just can't find it, right? So here are some suggestions that I have on ways to categorize your virtual desktop. Um, These are by no means the only option. Not always, I'm sometimes more of a creative thinker. We'll put it that way. So sometimes what feels in the moment like a logical thing is more of a creative solution rather than a logical one. So sometimes we do have to kind of you know, weigh the pros and cons between creative problem solving and, you know what, yes, it, it would be better for um, for research or for course content to do it in a creative way, but for ease of use, it just has to be logical, right? So, sometimes it takes a little playing with, that's all I'm, that's all I'm getting at. <clears throat> So some categories one might choose, especially if you've never really done categorizing with folders virtually. Some categories you might want to go start with are one, finances, two, medical, three, legal, or I also might call this legacy, especially if you are looking at estate planning, um, you know, have a will or trust that you know, family members might need to know about. Things like that might go in this legal or legacy folder. Four would be family, five work, six applications or programs. So if you like to read um, eBooks on Kindle on your computer or type documents in Word or Excel or, or a PDF you know, reader, <coughs> um, Spotify, any of those things, you would probably want to have a single space for where you're saving those applications and programs because trust 
me, our desktops and our taskbar at the bottom can become so incredibly cluttered with these applications and programs. So a really good idea is to save them in one single folder on the desktop. Then when you need to open an app or program, go into that folder. Something I like to do personally is I like to pin on my taskbar my top used apps. So they are also down there. So I also don't have the desktop clutter. Um, and then the seventh category I like to include is either fun or miscellaneous um, or both. You could have eight categories to start with. So then what I like to do inside of each of those main categories is I like to then create subfolders either by year or by subcategory, subcategory. And that kind of depends on which makes more sense. So for instance, for family, it might make more sense to subcategorize by year. What happened, you know, documenting um, via photographs, what happened each year so that you can look back at like 2015, you know, such and such cousin graduated, you know, high school. And then in um, 2014, you know, your niece got married, whatever, right? Um, so it might be fun or, or make sense to you to organize by year. Um, it also, for some people, might make sense to organize and categorize by person. So maybe any of the information you have or files you have for your son would go into your son's folder. Or for anything that's for, like, the whole family. So if you went on a family vacation in whatever year, if you went on a family vacation, it might make sense to just have a overall family category. Um, so this, you know, family is probably the hardest category to subcategorize. For finance, it's a lot simpler. There are two main area or um, two main ways to subcategorize. You could organize by year, so all of the finances that happen in year you could put you know that way or you could do it by company or type so by type you might do utilities and then credit card and then bills or by company you might do t-mobile capital one and the xyz house loan and then a final categorization or organizational type could be having the main categories be years on your desktop so a, a folder on your desktop that just says 2023 and then having these seven or eight categories within each year. Um, like I said, the options are endless. As I was typing up my show notes today, I kept thinking more ideas. I'm like, okay, no, we're just going to leave it at these main ideas. And then, you know, if you need to do virtual decluttering, there are so many resources out there. As much as I would love to be the declutter queen and, you know, have resources for you, I am by far not a declutter queen. I know what I should do, but having the actual time to do it, sometimes even the motivation. You know, I'm human. I'm not always motivated to put my dishes away <laughs> or vacuum. You know, so sometimes we know a thing, but we're not always the best you know, person to, to look up to. <laughs> so I admit that I'm human. There are far better resources than myself to go to, 
I'm just sharing one simple, you know, concept for decluttering your virtual desktop. And the reason I feel like this is such an important thing to do is that when we categorize things in our life, whether it's physical clutter, whether it's just our thoughts, whether it's virtual clutter, breaking these down into categories helps us take apart this huge pile of things that we need to try to remember. It also helps keep us from being distracted. For instance, when you're on your on your laptop or your desktop, when you see that picture sitting on the desktop of your aunt that you know you should call and check on, it's really easy to get sidetracked. Now, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I am not saying that calling Auntie M is a bad thing. But it does clutter our minds from the task at hand. And then it does slow us down when we need to get things done. So if Auntie M really is that important that you feel like you should be calling her and checking up on her, maybe strongly consider printing her picture, putting it in a frame, and putting it somewhere that you're going to see it more often so you remember to call her. But the desktop where you work should not be that place. Or if you lost a loved one and you want to remember them and honor them, your work desktop or your phone background, if you work a lot from your phone, is not a good place to put the picture of that person because it creates this cycle in our brain of thinking about that person then, and then we get into the cycle of distraction. So don't do that to yourself. Yes, it's good and it's loving to honor and remember our loved ones that have gone or are just, you know, overseas for some reason or whatever. But we also have to make sure that we're honoring ourselves and our time and what's valuable. There is always a time and place that we can dedicate and honor, you know, things that need to be dedicated and honored. But when we're trying to work or be efficient in some way, that is not, you know, a good use of our time. So the same thing goes, you know, when we're talking about decluttering and categorizing, the same thing is really applicable when we're trying to plan and schedule our lives. I live by my planner. I have a virtual one and a paper one. My virtual one I keep so that I get notifications in my phone um, and reminders because, y'all, <laughs> distractions are so easy to happen when we deal with people, when we deal with the world, whether it's notifications on our phone distracting us or just getting really immersed in whatever it is we're doing, whether it is work, whether it's recreation, whether it's sleeping, we can get so immersed into the thing that we're doing that we lose track of time. It happens to everybody. So one of the biggest things we can do when we're even planning is starting out with those biggest things, those main categories. I like to call, and a lot of organizers and, you know, planning coaches call this the non-negotiables. And for every person, those non-negotiables are going to look different. So, like, for parents of minors, numero uno on the non-negotiable list is probably and should probably be your kids and their schedule as it applies to you. For instance, if your kids go to school, whether it's public school, private school, whatever, the hours that your kid is in school, you know, you're able to dedicate to other things. 
the hours that you have your child outside of that, you know, we do need to focus a whole significant amount of time toward our kids. And so making sure that when we're awake, when we have that waking time with our kids, that we're dedicating as much reasonable time as we possibly can to family time. Because you can't go back. All of us know this at, you know, the unconscious level, but, um, and I don't remember the exact statistics. I'm not exactly a a number person, but there's something about statistically um, the amount of time that we spend with our kids by the time they're 18 um, is, you know, so a percentage of our lives or a percentage of their lives. And it really becomes very significant when you realize by the time they're 12, by the time they're 18, the amount of, you know, family time that you have with them is, you know, like 75% over by the time they're 18 or, or something like that. I don't remember the numbers. But it's really a wake-up call to consider how we spend the time that we have with our kids. And then obviously work, you know, is next most important for a lot of people or, or faith, whatever. Um, just starting with those big things and then work our way down to, you know, the things on the day to day. Okay, I already said the last part, so I'm not going to share that again. It's a little redundant. All right, so that is the holiday of the day. Obviously, I, I'm very passionate about about these things because they do have a deeper meaning, at least for me they do. And I want to make sure that others consider that deeper meaning. And maybe it's not as impactful for you, and that's great. But if it does feel like it impacts you greatly and you can't figure out why or how to deal with it, that's why I share some of these things because – When you don't know what you don't know, you don't even know what to look for, what to ask for, or what the problem really even is sometimes, or what the challenge, I don't, challenge, problem, whatever. So I just, you know, invite everyone to look at these different things through a different lens, because sometimes it really helps to look at it from a different perspective. All right, we are going to hold off on talking about the word of the day and then who I got to go see. Because first I want to um, wrap up this week's First Continental Congress. I'm going to do it pretty briefly today. I think we can crank it out before our, our break. Because it was just... I kind of feel bad for the Patriots who were attending this first Continental Congress, or at least even the moderates, the people who are kind of trying to be in the middle, but were really just kind of stuck between these polar opposite sides (laughs) of the loyalists versus the patriots. And when I realized for this week, I really had to read, and, and for those of you who don't know what I'm reading right now, I'm reading a book called The Story of the First Continental Congress. And I guess I did not like this week. Not because I didn't like what they were doing or what they were talking about. I think it largely had to do with the way it was written, and we'll get to that. But what I first realized is I had to read this week 
as if it was a play script. So if you've ever done any kind of acting or theater or um, even just reading through the um, like a comic book, you often notice that there's the plot, there's the antagonist or like the villain, there's main characters, there's useful idiots, right, or comedic um, characters, comedic relief. So what struck me the most, though, was how biased the writing of this week was by the authors. Now, the author authors, I don't remember <laughs> offhand. But it definitely seemed like the author was very, very, very much on the side of the loyalists. And as a liberty lover myself, it was really frustrating, incredibly frustrating to observe the bias. <clears throat> and here's the thing. When I'm reading things like that, I expect things to be written from an emotionally neutral perspective. The hard thing with that is so much today, it seems like we interpret what we think is facts, but they're really opinions. Um, or we might not have you know, done our due diligence. And I'll admit, I am not an expert by any means on the First Continental Congress. I do want to go back and read the diaries and the letters that the, that the delegates wrote while they were there. Um, you know, so we often have bias, and it's, it's, it is very difficult and very frustrating because when we're talking about history, we really need to be giving truth without opinion. So that's, that's just something I wanted to share right off the bat. <clears throat> now, our antagonists this week, again, are Joseph Galloway and James Duane. They're the primary antagonists. There were a few others. Um, and if you're curious who those others were, definitely check out the book. I feel like it does give a relatively solid foundation on what happened during the First Continental Congress from September 5th through, what was it, October like 26th. Overall, solid resource, but by any means, do not use this as your sole resource. Always, if you can, go back to original source documents. And original source documents look like the letters from the delegates that were there. Um, the original notes of the secretary, you know, for the meetings. Anyway, so Joseph Galloway and James Duane, they are loyalists through and through. So much so, in fact, that this week, they absolutely refused to see that any rights were being violated or abused by Parliament and by Britain. I mean, they refused to approve any drafts of letters that the committees or Congress as a whole were trying to draft. They were opposed, even though last week they kind of all agreed to do um, the non-importation stuff. This week, they were not on board. Um, and honestly, they seriously thought that Congress's purpose and intention was to, like, make sacrifices to comply with Parliament and make peace again by bowing down and convincing the, um, the colonists 
to do so by having this collective effort amongst delegates of the many colonies. It was, it's shameful that any human could be so blind. But that's what we get when we get subjects of government. When we start, and this is kind of where some of my notes from this week's event I attended come in. When we start to trade our responsibilities and our sense of safety, we give away our power. And sometimes we don't even realize it because the perceived sense of safety and being able to delegate responsibility are so strong that we don't see the sacrifice in it. We don't see how it makes us subjects rather than free individuals. And I have a feeling that's kind of where Joseph Galloway and James Duane are. I think they see the safety and the protections that come with being loyal to Britain and they don't want to give it up. They like being in servitude to their government because just like a child, like when you're, when you have rules and boundaries, you know what's safe and not safe. So I'm not going to blame them a hundred percent, but I do blame them for not being, you know, for not growing a pair really. (laughs) But then here come our Patriots. Patrick Henry and Robert Treat Payne. Man, Patrick and Robert, they were like, in terms of responding to Galloway and Dwayne, they were like, screw that, yo. <laughs> Obviously, they would never have spoken like that. That's totally my words. So when you start to read their reactions and their responses to Galloway and Dwayne and their nonsense, Patrick Henry and Robert Treat Payne, man, I have such a love and respect for these two guys. And remember, Patrick Henry is a patriot who at some point um, is a guy that said, give me liberty or give me death. So, like, he is hardcore patriot and hardcore independent. I think he and, and Payne and some of the others were ahead of their time because they saw the writing on the wall. They weren't going to fluff it up or, you know, pansy foot around the fact that they would never have the same rights and liberties as Englishmen in the motherland if they didn't try to fight for their independence. So they were they were very um, staunch advocates for being very strongly opposed and against a lot of these things. Um, there were a few things I want I highlighted in my notes that I wanted to share if I can find them. Um, oh, this week they were also talking, again, a lot about how to deal with Massachusetts, specifically Boston. Um, last week we had discussed how General Gage had, quote-unquote, fortified Boston. And really he was holding the citizens hostage. Um <coughs> And anyone who tried to fight against him was going to be considered basically like an enemy of the state. And this is one of the main things that they were going back and forth about this week. Um, because most of the people, the delegates in Congress, did 
did not want to completely leave their colony brothers in Boston um, helpless. If the Bostonians had decided to evacuate the city, a mass exodus, they were going to need protection and support from the people of the colonies. In the end, it kind of seemed like the goal is to have the Bostonians just kind of sit tight while they tried to handle things with General Gage, you know, try to get back to a place of peace, get him to stand down because nothing good was going to come from what he was trying to do there. Um, yeah, it was just, there were so many proposed resolutions and then amendments to resolutions. It was It was a hot mess. And this was definitely one where Galloway and Twain were much more on the loyalist side. Uh, It looks like the Connecticut delegation, they were definitely trying to um, share information and give a full account to one of the delegates that had shown up late, give a full account of the activities of Congress like up to this present week. Um, They were talking about the resolution for the non-importation and non-consumption from goods from Britain. And they really wanted to make this resolution effective, especially against um, wicked and desperate men trying to defeat it. Uh, Let's see, what else? Samuel Ward... um, Okay, he was telling, I believe, his daughter that the Congress had planned to write, and I'm just going to read this verbatim, they had written to General Gage, acquainting him, quote, quote, acquainting him with our sentiments and desiring him to surcease all further fortifications and restore a free and uninterrupted communication between the town and country, end quote. Then it says, Ward then thanked his daughter for her prayers for both her native country and its cruel parents. I feel like that was pretty stinking accurate. It's like England was the cruel parents and the colonies were the native country. And the cruel parent is just being like the helicopter parent or, you know, the patriarch where it's just overbearing control and manipulation. So I was kind of glad to see him write that. Uh, There was a really good spot that I wanted to quote. Um, Let's see. Who was it that said that? Um, Lee had blasted the British system of, quote, plantation government. And I love this part. It says he claimed the new system was, quote, repugnant to the English Constitution, the faith of charters, and constant usage from the first settlement of Englishmen in North America, end quote. And then he also went on to say, quote, um, that the colonies had been humbled and humble and dutiful in petitioning for relief, but the uh, empire ignored the petitions. I mean, he's another patriot. He was 
not sugarcoating this. And I love that. Yes, sometimes we get too ambitious when we get extra passionate. But if we don't have passion to stand up when we see wrong, that's where we get trampled on and that's where we get put back into slavery and servitude. And we don't want to do that. Something's wrong. We need to call it out as wrong. No more should we be, you know, going along to getting, you know, going along to get along. Um, something I learned this weekend, a really good concept that I learned is we must, we absolutely must be fighting for others' rights too. Even our enemies' freedom of speech, we must fight for. Because the sword that we wield, we ask the government to wield against others for us, tomorrow will be the sword that, you know, cuts us down. So we must be careful about, you know, the sword we wield um, and what we ask government to do and not do. Because, yeah, today we might have them do something on our behalf, but then tomorrow it's going to give them, you know, the freedom and the liberty to then do something against us, and we're not going to like it. All right, we went a few minutes over. We're going to pause for a commercial break. Then when we come back, we will move on to the next section, which I am pumped about. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. We talk a lot about the kingdom here, and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same. And we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints. But they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And join us on Facebook. Facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. 
join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the word. And if you want some amazing resources to boost your and your family's knowledge about these truths, I highly recommend checking out Tuttle Twins. Tuttle is T-U-T-T-L-E. From Watered Down History, the intentional omission of important facts and principles to agenda-driven opinions, our kids' public domain education is not giving our kids what they need to enter the real world and be critically thinking, problem-solving, non-history-repeating adults. That's where Tuttle Twins comes in. They have an entire collection that is always growing for kids of all ages and adults who want to go back and relearn what we should have learned from the start. To check out Tuttle Twins, please visit Tuttle twins.com backslash ref backslash living with freedom and again tuttle is t as in thomas u t t as in thomas thomas l e twins.com backslash ref backslash living with freedom all right and we are back for the next segment segment two of our show today I'm going to start out segment two with going over the word of the day. And then the, the word of the day today is constitution. Now, as I'm coming up with these shows and our show notes as well as the word of the day, I'd originally started out just going through Black Saw Dictionary alphabetically. And I'm finding that that isn't always possible or applicable in terms of the show of the day. Or, or the show topic of the day. Um, so in future episodes, you're definitely going to be hearing me bounce back and forth between going through Black's Law Dictionary, you know, in order, in alphabetical order. And then you might hear me, you know, bring in some words that are very relevant to the topic of the day. Today's topic of the day is very much constitution, very much liberty. And since we have not gone over the definition of the word constitution, what better week than this week? So the definition, according to the 1990 edition of Black's Law Dictionary, constitution is the organic and fundamental law of a nation or state, which may be written or unwritten, establishing the character and concept of its government, laying the basic principles to which its internal life is to be conformed, organizing the government, and regulating, distributing, and limiting the functions of its different departments, and prescribing the extent and manner of the exercise of sovereign powers. A charter of government deriving its whole authority from the governed. The written instrument agreed upon by the people of the Union, like the Constitution of the United States of America, or of a particular state, like Wisconsin or Minnesota or Florida or Texas, whatever. 
so or of a particular state as the absolute rule of action and decision for all departments or branches and officers of the government in respect to all the points covered by it which must control until it shall be changed by the authority which established it, i.e. by amendment, and in opposition to which any act or ordinance of any such department or officer is null and void. The full text of the United United States Constitution appears at the end of the dictionary. I did not know that. That's a fun fact. So, it does go on. Um, I'll, I'll read the last sentence of the definition. It says, in a more general sense, any fundamental or important law or edict, as the novel constitutions of Justinian, the constitutions of Clarendon. Okay, so they mostly gave examples. All right. what I, I'm going to set that pen down. I keep playing with it. What I love, you guys, about this definition is it acknowledges that every department, every officer, every law, every statute must be in accordance with the Constitution or it is null and void. You guys, I don't know if you guys catch how important that is. And hopefully by the end of our show today, after I share who I got to go see and what I learned, hopefully this part makes sense to you. Because I know I've shared with you guys before Marbury versus Madison and a quote by James Wilson basically saying the same thing, that any law repugnant to the Constitution is null and void. And right here, Black's Law Dictionary, you know, repeats that sentiment. So I think that's so incredibly powerful that we have this confirmation according to the Law Dictionary of this truth. I also wanted to pull up the definition of constitutional. So basically the act of being constitutional or that was bad, bad example, but um, what it means to follow, you know, the constitution. It says constitutional means consistent with the constitution, authorized by the constitution, not conflicting with any provision of the constitution or fundamental law of the state. Depending upon a constitution or secured or regulated by a constitution as constitutional monarchy or constitutional rights. And then I decided to pull up one more. It's also pretty short. It's constitutional freedom. Because this, you guys, is the crux of all of this. So constitutional freedom is a generic term to describe the basic freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution, such as the First Amendment freedoms of religion, speech, press, and assembly together with protection under due process clause of 14th Amendment. See also the Bill of Rights and constitutional liberty or freedom. But the important part is that it says basic freedoms guaranteed by. And I've said this many times before, and I'm going to say it again. No Constitution, no government, gives anybody their rights. We are born with our rights intact. We are created with our God-given natural rights and liberties. They are ours. They're not given to us 
by any earthly entity. So we must stop saying our constitutional rights because that means the Constitution gives us our rights, and that is not true. The Constitution lists some of our rights. The Constitution guarantees our rights. The Constitution protects our rights. And the Constitution puts on puts the government on notice what our rights are so that we know what they are and they know not to touch them. But the problem is, you guys, our education system, and I, I learned this this weekend too, our education system really since 1830, so unless anyone is about 100 years old here and actually was going to school before 1830, our understanding of how law works is seriously misrepresented. It is seriously messed up, and it is not how it's supposed to be. So we need to really wrap our minds around the idea that, you know, we need to comply with the government. They are, you know, our our boss. They are not. We are we the people. Um, and actually, there's a graphic I wanted to share quick. Um, I'll just describe it verbally for you guys, but, um, oh no. Oh, I wrote it down. That's why I can't find the picture. (laughs) Oh, where did I put it? Oh my goodness. I can't find it. Anyways, what this graphic was, was really just going over our hierarchy of law. Um, I wish I had taken a picture of it because um, the speaker I went to see put it a little bit differently. Um, oh goodness, I really wish I had take you know taken a better image of of that. Anyways, we need to get back to the hierarchy of law. If you're not familiar with that term, the hierarchy of law really goes back to who's at the top of the food chain in terms of authority and then going down each step of authority, who's next in line. So whether a person believes in God or creator or universe, whatever, that that entity, God, I call that entity God, is the creator of everything and as such has the utmost authority and power and liberty over everything. And then when God created us, he gave us what we call our God-given natural rights. They're called God-given for a reason because God created us and he gave these rights to us. And then when we the people created our state, we delegated a small piece a small selection of our powers and liberties to the state to do some stuff for us. And then our delegates, our state representatives, when they were creating, you know, the U.S. Constitution and thus, by by definition, the U.S. government, they gave a few of their powers 
to the federal government to do. You can't give away more than you have. So if you have a cake, one cake um, in a eight, you know, or nine and a half by 11 pan, let's just say nine and a half inch by 11 inch pan, and you give it to someone, you cannot give more cake than the cake that is in that nine and a half by 11 pan. You can't give away more cake than you made. You can give either all of it or some of it, but you can't give more because there isn't more. Same thing applies with our rights. The government does not have more rights than the thing that create or the thing or the people that created it. In this case, the states or really our state representatives created the federal government. So the federal government cannot and does not have more rights than the state. And the same thing goes for our state. The state does not have more rights than we, the people. We gave them one job to work on our behalf on X, Y, Z. And that's what they need to be held to. So when you really start to look at what's constitutional and what's not, licensing is not constitutional by any means. It is an overreach, an overstep, and not something that we the people consented to. Unfortunately, we the people lost the knowledge that they weren't allowed to do that or weren't supposed to do that, and we let them get away with it. And I'm not exactly blaming us because they orchestrated it through the education system. They orchestrated this removal and diminishment of knowledge on purpose so that we wouldn't know these things. All right, so I'm going to keep this concept going in the third segment as we get into who I had the pleasure of seeing this weekend. But we're going to cut early to a commercial so we have um, the full 30 minutes or so to go over my notes from this weekend as well as kind of review how all of this ties together. And because today is third Tuesday PMA, also how this ties into PMAs. So we still have a lot of show left to go through, and um, after the break, we will dive right back in. Hello, Freedomizers. I am Broccoli Man. When I am not fighting crime, I listen to the Proof Negative radio show. I am the Wire Ripper. Not only do I forbid you to listen to Freedomizer radio and the Proof Negative radio show, I am going to demand you wear a mask and get your naked body scan. We need to protect one world government. You getting the real information hurts a crime syndicate. Do not listen to Proof Negative. You must now disrobe this instant so I can check your person for a constitutional cash money. Anyway, listen to Proof Negative on Freedomizer Radio. Weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Freedomizerradio.com Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. 
And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. I'm coming back on a little bit early because a few of our commercial um, commercials don't want to play. So <laughs> we are going to jump in a little bit early. But I will share, since we did discuss today the idea of organizing our virtual desktops as well as a little bit on how we organize our lives and our, our schedules, I'm going to share that one of my favorite ways to reduce stress and live a life of freedom is to keep track of things in my day designer planner. Um, I'm on my third one now, third year in a row, and I really love the daily breakdown with the hourly schedule with enough room, if you want, to break it down even to 30-minute increments. It also has designated spaces for um, each day for your top three priorities, um, what to do, what's for dinner, tracking finances, as well as a place for things to remember. Um, a huge to-do list space, uh, a little open section for notes or doodling because, you know, let's be honest, we all do it sometimes. And then what I love most is a spot for gratitude. If you would like a day designer planner, and I will admit, outside of the more canvas style covers, a lot of the designs are a little bit more on the feminine side. So, guys, if you want something that's not quite so flowery looking, definitely recommend going with the canvas hardcovers. But Day Designer has some amazing planner options, and they're very, very high quality. I love them. Um, but if you're looking for a good planner for the 2024 year, go to shrsl.com backslash four six. GWU. And yes, I know their randomized, um, you know, referral link is not ideal. <laughs> so just want to just want to point that out that I had no choice in the referral link. <laughs> All right, we are starting segment three. And I am the most pumped about this segment because I finally get to share I got to see Chris Ann Hall this weekend. Friday night, I got to see her in Fargo. Um, I don't like to share about places I'm going in advance, just for privacy and safety reasons. But you guys, holy cannoli. So I um, had about a three and a half hour drive to get to Fargo. After I got settled in, in the hotel, I... Got to go downstairs and see her speak for two hours. And as much as I love and adore her virtual content, videos, her podcasts, um, you know, her courses at Liberty First Society, in person, she's just a spitfire. She's wonderful and amazing and powerful and passionate and so incredibly wise. She backs up everything she shares with quotable content, with cited, you know, content. Um, and just the vast knowledge of things that she has stored up in her brain. Yes, I know. She's probably given this presentation thousands of times. 
to memorize these, these extensive quotes that she memorizes is really, really impressive. <laughs> um, and then I was supposed to see David Barton this weekend, and I had a second opportunity, but after driving roughly 10 hours between Friday morning and Saturday afternoon, my body was tapped out. It was like, you are not going anywhere else for the rest of the weekend. You're staying home. You're chilling. <laughs> you're just, you know, maybe harvesting from the garden a little bit, but you're not getting back in the car. So I didn't. I listened to my body. I was a good girl. Um, and I really just absorbed the awesome event that was Chris Ann Hall's Liberty First Seminar in Fargo. Um, so you guys might have heard me mention in one of the earlier segments about learning the Constitution prior to 1830 versus anything after 1830. And what Chris Ann Hall said was that we stopped teaching the Constitution correctly in 1830. And this goes back to Joseph's story and his version of what the Constitution means. And if any of you guys have heard of Joseph's story or learned from a textbook about the Constitution, just know that it's BS. Total and utter BS. Baloney. Um, I can't think of some of the other fun names, but it's, it's baloney. It's garbage. She also talked about how we need to get back to a bottom-up society. So when you look at the quote-unquote pyramid of, of government, typically you're going to see the president at the top, right? Um, at best, you might see, you know, the three branches up at the top. Unfortunately, what we really need to be doing is flipping that pyramid because the president is the bottom of the totem pole. What I learned here was insane. Did you guys know that the president's only constitutionally designated job, the only job that the president is supposed to do um, is to really basically be like um, an ambassador. They're only, he's only, he or she is only supposed to act on, on our behalf for negotiating treaties. That's it, you guys. It's not the president's job to do anything with, um, you know, social programs or or fighting corporations or supporting corporations, um, anything to do with laws or taxes. None of it. And, yeah, that can be really frustrating, but it's also, when you think about it, a relief. Because, you guys, if it was the president's job to do any of those other things, we wouldn't. We don't have a president at that point. We have a king or queen, but we haven't had a female president yet, so king. We don't want a king, you guys. We don't want a single ruler that has authority over all of these things. It actually is a really, really bad thing. When we hear presidents talking about, when I get into office, I'm going to insert XYZ promise. And something Christian Hall had said that she had done, I don't remember if it was the 
16 or 2019, um, well, 2020, whatever, elections, but something that they had done, they as in like she and her husband, J.C. Hall, was they compiled a list of all of the candidates that election. I think it was 2019. And what they did was they did not compare the candidates to each other. No. They compared the candidates to how constitutional their platform was. I thought that was amazing. And their conclusion was that zero, even the constitutional party, even the libertarian candidate was unconstitutional in their in their campaign. It just blows my mind. The more that I dig into this, the more I'm like, holy crap, have we been misled. So going back in my notes, um, we need to get back to focusing local and governing local. That's the stuff that really impacts our daily lives. It, It really creates a trickle down effect. Show up at your county board meetings, at your village or your city board meetings, at your school board meetings. That is the stuff that's impacting our daily lives. But because we have been brainwashed to think the president is the most important election that we pay attention to, we have let our country run amok because we have given away our responsibility locally. It's really like a parasite or some kind of bacteria or virus that just infects and it just grows and spreads. Like when you think of, um, you know, a a fast forwarded image of bacteria growing on something, just think of it crawling out and oozing out from central point and just permeating the area around it. That is what's happening. And we know it starts in the big cities where there's a lot of these progressive liberal mindsets. That's, that's the easy target. It's these more rural areas that are a little bit harder to get to. But because we're kept so busy and so distracted we don't realize the significance of focusing local. Um, And we also forget that the local, the more local governments are actually what control and regulate and govern the federal. It's the states that actually should be and are, um, even though they're not doing their duty, telling, telling the federal government what to do. And that's also why we need to make sure that our sheriffs are are aware of their duty and are acting constitutionally. One of the main questions as Ken Hall was talking, and she does eventually get to it, um, one of the main questions that I was developing as she was speaking is, okay, it's great to know what the truth is, how it's supposed to work, and that we can contact our representatives and kind of how we should be doing it. But my question was, okay, so what if they don't do it? What if they don't, you know, follow the Constitution? How do we enforce it? How do we hold them accountable? So she does get to it, but that was going to be one of my questions. Is like, okay, it's great to know the truth about all this, but now what do we do about it? 
and that's that's significant. Um, Chris Ann Hall, in her Liberty First Society course, has a class called Power of the Purse in um, in Liberty First Society. So that's the name of the program, Liberty First Society, and this course or this class is called Power of the Purse. And she had mentioned how um, Madison in Federalist 58 talked about who controls the budget. Um, she also read through Article 1, Section 1, Clause 1 of the Constitution. And that it's not the president. The president has no say in the budget. Really, his only involvement is supposed to be signing the bill as essentially a secretary to get it put into into the record. Is not his job to veto it or approve it. He has no say in the budget, constitutionally speaking. And then the next question she poses, what is the role of the president? And if you really want a deeper dive into the specific actual role of the president, she has a course in Liberty for Society called um, Power of the President. And she also had a quote from Hamilton, and I think I might have missed it, but let me go back into my graphics to see um, if there is a quote in there. Let's see. No, that's... uh, Oh, I think this one has to do with no legislative act contrary to the Constitution, um, you know, can be executed or exercised. Um, Hamilton... Yeah, there's no position. Here it is. Here's the quote. I had to scroll and find a little bit. So Hamilton says, there is no position which depends on clearer principles than that every act of a delegated authority, contrary to the tenor of the commission under which it is exercised, is void. No legislative act, therefore, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. I just think all of this is so, so poignant. Something Christian Hall said is there's not a single question that we have today that the founders and framers have not already thought about and written extensively about. So when we get back into our founding documents, the, you know, um, those would be the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and then also other original source documents like the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist Papers, they wrote about this stuff. They had the answers. They wrote down what the intention was and the meaning was behind these things. Nothing should be left open to interpretation anymore. It's all clear, but we have to do the homework. We have to do the research. She was also even talking about the authority of the Supreme Court and that judges can be impeached. Um, here she was talking about Article 3. Um, let's see. She also mentioned, and I touched on this earlier. I don't know if you guys caught it, but earlier I mentioned how when government wants, um, or the fact that government always wants more power and people always want less responsibility. So 
we give away our power for a sense of of safety, sense of protection, um, sense of care. Um, here she also talks about that she has a course called or a class in Liberty First called Pathway to Liberty. My thought here is we need to be how do I want to put it? Really, we need to be self-governing. We need to get out of being consumers of government. Um, she also said spectators of government. We need to get out of this mindset that government is there to take care of us. It is not their job. It is not their responsibility. If you are an adult, it is your job to take care of yourself at all costs. It is nobody else's job or responsibility. So we need to get out of the mindset that it is the jobs or the the government's job to give us money through Social Security, that it is the government's job to take care of us if we're poor through, you know, the welfare programs and food stamps. Yes, these things feel good, but we also need to remember and realize By us receiving something, it also means it had to be taken away from somebody else. And that is not liberty. That is not a constitutional republic. So we need to be protecting each other's rights as well as each other's responsibilities. Yes, as a friend, as a a fellow community member, of course, if somebody is struggling... I'm going to try my best to help them in any way that I can, but it is not my obligation or requirement by law. And so for the government to impose that on us, that is taxation without representation. That is theft. Plain and simple, it is theft. Something that Chris Ann Hall said that really struck me not in a bad way, but like a light bulb moment. When she said, I want my enemies to have free speech so that I can have it too. In this world of cancel culture, it is so, so easy to say, oh, this person's talking about alphabet soup, um, you know, the alphabet soup movement and... Um, People not wanting to be, you know, their gender, <laughs> their biological gender. Um, we need to we need to silence them because they're talking blasphemy or they're they're talking ungodly things, whatever. It's not our job to silence others, and if we attempt to silence others, we darn well better be expecting government to silence us too. It's a two-edged sword, you guys. So we need to realize every time we want government to try to regulate someone or something else, that it also means they're going to be regulating or controlling us as well. It may not be directly. It may look different compared to what we wanted them to regulate for someone else, but it will come back to bite us. As much as it sucks that we have to deal with people we don't agree with, that's life. 
And that's where some communication skills that the founders and framers learned is is paramount. These guys learned multiple languages as a norm. They were learning Latin and French and and Greek. Um, they were also learning what the ancient greats were talking about, Plato and Socrates. They learned how to communicate effectively. They also learned how to agree to agree to disagree to a large extent because those disagreements meant that we each have our freedom to have our own beliefs and even if we don't agree we each have the right to have those beliefs all right i'm going to fast forward a little bit through because i still have a whole lot that we could be going through um all right, we're going to fast forward to just some of the research that Chrisanne Hall was sharing. She had found the study from Harvard. So you guys know that Harvard takes their research and takes their stuff very seriously. I mean, it's freaking Harvard, right? When you think of, like, the top colleges in the world, you think of Harvard in at least the top ten, if not, like, the very top one. It might not be ranked the, the top, but it's the easy, it's the easiest one to remember and think about, right? So, anyways, researchers at Harvard um, they looked at resistance movements over the last century, and what they found were that was that nonviolent protests were twice as likely to succeed as armed conflicts. Hmm. BLM riots much. <laughs> so nonviolent protests were twice as likely to succeed as armed conflicts. And the percentage of the population required to create change through nonviolent protests was only 3.5%. I want you to look at your school board um, um, jurisdiction. How many parents are in that school board or that school jurisdiction? What pers- or what number of people from that number would be 3.5%? So if there's 100 parents in that jurisdiction, it would only take four parents because you can't have half of a parent. I'm rounding up. It would only take four parents to make a difference. If you're looking at the community out of a thousand people, only 35, no wait, only 35 people would be needed to make a difference in a community of a thousand people. Out of a community of 10,000 people, 350 people, Yes, we can keep going on and on with the math. (laughs) Let's not make my brain hurt. (laughs) You guys, we can do this, but we need to do it the right way. We need to learn the truth and the actual original source documents. We need to be reading the Constitution for ourselves and understanding it and then starting conversations with people. 
last week's episode, I had mentioned I was listening to Chris Ann Hall's archived podcast. And end of 2018, beginning in 2019, she had been doing some research sitting at her laptop in a coffee shop. And she struck up this conversation with a woman. And it was not even about, you know, politics or really even civics. It was something super random, like, um, I don't even remember what she said it was, but anyways, maybe it had to do with um, the education system or something. Anyway, she ended up having this two-hour conversation with this woman who turns out to be a PhD professor. Her husband is also like a, um, is a lawyer, I believe it was, and they realized you know, we weren't taught these things, but if we had been, man, would things look different? And she invited us to to start these conversations. Start out by having like one quote by a founding mother or father that is kind of pivotal. A lot of people have to focus on Crispus Attucks because he was the first black person who happened to be the first martyr of the Boston Massacre. And, you know, a black patriot. 300 years ago, there was such a thing as a black patriot? Really? (laughs) We don't know these things. So starting out with a super simple thing like Crispus Attucks can change the trajectory of a voter. And I'm not saying this to be manipulative, but when we share truth with a capital T, People start to break out of the cognitive dissonance, but we have to start small and we have to do it in a very loving and caring way. I know I say this very often. We need to be compassionate, speak from our hearts, not from a place of anger or finger pointing and blaming, but from a place of of yearning and longing and love for what things are supposed to be like. So much so that it literally just oozes out of us, but in a good way, you know, um, when we, when I know a lot of people don't like dandelions, but when we think about a dandelion, yes, a lot of people consider them a weed, but they are a plant that is very resilient. It is strong. It is very durable. Uh, trying to think of how I kind of want to go about that. When you think about a dandelion, it grows wherever those seeds land, whether it's a crack on the sidewalk, whether it's gravel or, you know, a really sandy area or right in your garden with all the, you know, healthy fruits and veggies and that really nice, you know, fertilized soil. Dandelions are so strong and resilient. They they grow wherever they're planted. They grow back if they're cut down. And they actually serve a lot of purpose. Every part of the dandelion plant, as long as you're not getting plants that were sprayed with pesticides or, you know, road runoff, every part of the dandelion plant has healing and medicinal properties and is edible. A lot of people will dandelion roots for and, and grind it for 
coffee. Um, a lot of people eat the leaves in their salads. And dandelion flowers also are edible and can be used for stuff. But the reason I, I specifically use dandelions is because they they are so prevalent. Let's be dandelions. Let's be bright and resilient. Bright as in, you know, the, the happy yellow color that they are, you know. Let's be loving and joyful people as we share these truths. People are going to resonate with the sense of joy that we have when we know truth, not the sense of anger and vitriol that we carry when we're angry about something. It always goes back to flies and honey versus flies and vinegar. You'll always attract more with honey than vinegar. Um, oh, my goodness. To keep track of time. <laughs> Something else that I love that Chris Ann Hall was teaching us is if we only taught one and a half sentences in our history and civics classes, the entire system would be flipped on its head, actually flipped upright. <laughs> and those one and a half sentences are where it starts. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That sentence and a half. And it ends with powers from the consent of the governed. If we only broke down that one and a half sentences and really understood what it meant, we could shift this entire thing so easily. And this is what it means to get back to basics. Yes, it feels like there's a lot of unlearning and relearning. So I love that she broke it down to one and a half sentences. Because that is memorizable. That can easily be broken down. She said that she can even teach a kindergartner these one and a half sentences at a very basic level, of course. And then each grade, as they get older and older, add on to the understanding and the deeper meaning of it. But even if we only focused on we hold these truths to be self-evident, hmm. how many times in the world today do we say that common sense isn't common anymore? We need to get back to the truths that are self-evident. Some other um, courses or classes that she has in Liberty First Society that she mentioned that are very, very good to think about taking are Slavery and the Founders, and then also the Forgotten Founding Mothers, because I think we do forget that there were a lot of women who put their names, their lives on the line side by side with the Founding Fathers. In fact, often more so. Because when you think of the Boston Tea Party, the Patriots dressed up in costumes. They they wore, um, you know, masks or they covered their faces. They remained relatively anonymous. But the founding women, they wrote letters and actually put their names on them and their names to them. Yeah, 
we do have the founding fathers who signed the declaration. Yeah, they did put their names to them. They knew there was a target on their back, but so did these women. Um, I'm going to skip that for the sake of time. One other thing that I really want to touch on before we kind of start to wrap this up is that government's singular purpose is to secure our rights. Secure means to protect, defend, guarantee. It doesn't mean to give or grant or permit. It means to protect, which means it's something that we already have, which means it's ours to take care of. Um, okay, so this is where Chris and Hall started talking about, so what do we do about it? First of all, when we see our representatives, our sheriff, you know, these people not acting constitutionally, we write letters, and we don't send them once. You can mail it or email it. Don't just send the letter once. She said, send it every day for 30 days. They need to know that you are relentless. You are not going to back down. You are not going to let them forget that you have something to say. And she and her husband, JC, they say, keep sending letters until you get a meaningful response. Not just one of those copy and paste auto reply kind of responses. An actual response to have a conversation to initiate dialogue. But if they don't do that, if they don't start acting constitutionally when you tell them and when you inform them of something that needs to be done differently, there's this thing called peaceful noncompliance. And it is not the same as people acting unlawfully. What peaceful noncompliance is, and she said this, verbatim, so I'm, I am quoting her on her slides, what peaceful compliance is, is people enforcing the supreme law of the land when the government is acting lawlessly. Did you guys get that? When the government is acting lawlessly, it is up to us to act lawfully. And she was very, very adamant. This made me giggle, and I love her so much for this, because so often Christians are taught to to acquiesce to, you know, to man's law, to the government. And she brought up Romans 3.13, I think it was, Acts 5.29, and she also has a course called The Morality of Resistance. In the Bible, tell me one story where the, the biblical person laid down and just, you know, gave in to man's law when it was lawless. None. Even Moses, and I'm going to take one step farther back, even Moses' mother peacefully did not comply when the Pharaoh said that all baby boys must be killed. She did not comply. She put her baby in a basket in the river and prayed to God 
that he would be protected and saved. And then the Pharaoh's own daughter, when she found the baby boy, she did not comply and kill that baby boy. She rescued him. That baby boy was Moses. So literally from from day one of Moses' life, and that's super Old Testament, you guys. From day one of Moses' life, people were not complying. They were peacefully not complying. And the entire Bible is filled with people peacefully not complying. Daniel, the reason he got thrown into the lion's den was that he peacefully did not comply. He knew his truth was a capital T, and he knew and trusted that God would protect him and take care of him in whatever way that looked. In Daniel's case, he, he, he as in God, had angels come and like keep the mouths of the lions shut so they wouldn't eat Daniel. He protected Daniel for obeying truth with a capital T. And we need to get back to that. All right, we are almost at time. So thank you so much for tuning in to Living with Freedom. Um, We are live every Tuesday from 2 to 3.30 Central Time, noon Pacific Time. And we will be back next week with even more. Hope you guys have a beautiful week. And then, of course, things freeze up. All right, here we go. Have a great day, guys. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.